each week in this series, it ends next week, but each week what we're doing is we're looking at a biblical figure and we're looking at a person in the Bible and unpacking their story and their unique angle in leadership. Why are we starting a series at the beginning of the year called Take the Lead? Because we know this, our society and our culture needs great change. Do you agree? But we also know that great change cannot happen without great leaders, specifically godly leaders. And what does it look like biblically to walk out of the church walls and to be a Christ-like godly leader in the secular workplace? How do we balance that and navigate it? How can we get practical tools in our lives straight from the word of God to advance and elevate in leadership? You might be here today thinking, I, I, I'm here because this is my church, but this series isn't for me because I'm not a leader. Again, I wanna tell you, Everyone is called to be a leader. If you're a parent, you're called to be the leader of your kids. If you're a grandparent, you're involved in leadership in your grandkids' lives. If you're an employee, you're involved in leadership. If you're a business owner, you're a leader. If you're a student, you're a leader. If you're on a team, you're a leader. All of us are called to take the lead. Are you with me today? All of us are called to take the lead. So today we're looking at um, Moses in the Bible. I love Moses, and it's hard. it would be hard to teach a leadership series without looking at Moses from the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in the first few chapters of Exodus mostly, but all the scriptures will be on the screen. But I wanna tell you a little bit of Moses' story, just kind of flashing through this, skipping through it quickly, just so if you're not super familiar, you can have a little bit of context. So the Israelites at the beginning of Exodus find themselves in slavery through a series of events in Egypt. They ended up being in slavery for 400 years, a little over 400 years. That's a long time. That's longer than our country has even been a country. This is a long time for an entire nation and people group to be slaves. Toward the end of this 400 years, there is a baby born, and this baby born, his name is Moses, and God's sovereign will is for Moses to become the deliverer of his people. But at the exact time Moses is born, Pharaoh sees that the Israelites are multiplying too fast, and they're becoming a threat and a problem to Egypt, so he tells the Egyptian midwives who are involved in, in helping the, the babies be born, any male Hebrew baby that's born, Pharaoh tells the midwives to kill it. Moses' mom, Jochebed, hears the news of this, and there's a few midwives that help her disguise the fact that she kept Moses alive. She puts Moses in a basket one day, and we know the story, at least if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, I don't know, it's loosely similar. We put the, put the basket into the water, and the baby drifts over to Pharaoh's daughter, and she takes Moses in as her own. But we also know what's not in the movie from scripture that Moses would have been highly aware that he was a Hebrew as he was being raised in, the, in Pharaoh's daughter's household because his own mom was involved in his upbringing when he was a young man. So Moses, he gets into adulthood. And one day he sees an Egyptian man um, just putting a beating on a Hebrew man and he steps in and he ends up reacting and killing the Egyptian man. And then at that exact moment, a few days later, he encounters some other people that had heard about what he did, and he knew it was getting out there, and he had to run. Moses flees to Egypt. Pharaoh actually finds out and wanted to kill him, but he flees, and he finds himself in an area called Midian. In Midian, he interacts with the people group and ends up finding a wife in Midian. And then after 40 more years 
of being in the wilderness in Midian, he encounters the burning bush. God says, go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Then we see the 10 plagues, and then Moses leads over a million people out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness to wander for 40 more years. But in that time, some crazy things happened, like the 10 commandments and battles were won, and we see Moses as an amazing leader. The title of my message today, Moses is a very um, top shelf leader. Moses is not just a leader of followers, he's a leader of leaders. So I've titled my message today, The Exponential Leader. How do we, as Christians, not just live a life where we are leading followers, but how do we grow to the place of being leaders that lead leaders and creating exponential growth in leadership and discipleship? Those two words are pretty interchangeable. How do we make disciples? How do we make leaders exponentially? Moses is a phenomenal example of how we do that. So I wanna look at three different aspects today of what it means to be an exponential leader from the story of Moses and the word of God. So number one is this, exponential leaders. Number one, need a season of reflection and preparation. Exponential leaders need a season of reflection and preparation. Week one, we talked about Nehemiah, and he also had a season of preparation and waiting, and it is a common theme uh, that God uses a very specific time in the lives of people right before they do something great for him. So remember the story. This is where we're going to pick up. Moses has just killed the Egyptian man, and he decides he has to flee Egypt. Moses, at this point, again, is 40 years old, and we're going to pick up in Exodus 2, starting in verse 15. It says this, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Jethro, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Verse 21, and Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So immediately, Moses goes from the pinnacle of being a prince of Egypt into the desert of Midian, finding himself alone, but also in this season, finding a wife. He had kids, but he is literally, physically, and spiritually in a wilderness season. How do we know? We don't necessarily see all the ages and timelines of Moses in the book of Exodus, but Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament actually tells us in hindsight some details about this story. If you watch the movie like The Prince of Egypt or even see certain images, we kind of have these images of Moses earlier on being a, kind of a young guy when he goes and stands before Pharaoh. But the truth is, again, he was 40 years old when he left Egypt. He spent another 40 years in Midian. That means by the time God called him to do what he was destined to do, he was an 80 year old man. That's a very long season of waiting, reflection, 
and preparation. When we picture this young man going and standing before Pharaoh, that's not the picture at all. I want you to picture an 80-year-old man who spent the last 40 years on the run, a weather-beaten man, maybe dealing with some physical issues of being a shepherd and working manual labor even into his 80s, a frail older man standing in front of the most powerful man in the entire world with only a wooden shepherd's staff. It took a lot of preparation to get Moses from where he was when he killed that Egyptian man all the way to the man that stood before Pharaoh that day. But why did it take so long in the wilderness? Why does it take so long for us in our waiting seasons, in our wilderness seasons? Why does God want for us and want for Moses a time of reflection and preparation? And why did it have to be so long? Because of this, because God knew it wasn't just about getting Moses out of Egypt, it was about also getting Egypt out of Moses. Oftentimes, the longer our waiting season is, the more God has to get something out of us, not just get us out of something. Oftentimes, we're looking in these seasons and we're saying, God, I'm not even in the same place I was. Why isn't this happening yet? Why isn't what you promised coming to fruition? Could it be that you still need more preparation and reflection to look inside and know that there is still something that God is trying to work out in us. What we see in the story is this. We see that Moses had all the natural instincts of a deliverer. He did. He had all the natural skill sets. Many of us, we look at our natural instincts and skills, and we go, God, why, why can't you just use this? But we, we know that Moses had the natural instincts because of the story I just told you. When the Egyptian man was beating the Hebrew man, Moses stepped in to become a deliverer. Just a few verses later, there are two Hebrew men who get into a fight and a dispute, and Moses steps in between them, obviously choosing a side and seeing himself as a deliverer. And we also see in the story I just read, when Moses first goes into Midian, he sits down at a well, and he sees the daughters of Jethro coming to the well. He doesn't know who they are, but he sees a group of shepherds also coming, and they oppress Jethro's daughters and drive them away. What does Moses do? He stands up on their behalf. But even we know that instincts have to be disciplined. They just do. He had the instincts of a deliverer, but he lacked the character of a deliverer. God was using the season of waiting, the season of preparation and reflection to teach Moses four quick things. This is what, they weren't quick for him, but they're gonna be quick for us. Four quick things, but these are the four things that God is constantly wanting to develop in all of our lives when we're in a season of waiting, reflection, and preparation. Here they are. What was he trying to teach Moses? First of all, patience, to learn God's timing. When there was a dispute between the men, he immediately jumps in and makes the wrong decision. Moses had an anger problem. He had a patience, a lack of patience problem. God needed him to learn his timing. God needed him to learn wisdom. Moses had to move from what can I technically do and get away with, moving from just knowledge all the way to wisdom of not just what can I do, but what should I do? What is God telling me? How can I learn God's actual voice of wisdom? He was also needing to teach Moses faith. Moses was coming out of a lifestyle of being an Egyptian. 
He knew his Hebrew roots, but he would have worshiped Egyptian gods. The culture would have been ingrained in him, and God needed to teach him to get all of that out of him, to develop a new, clear faith so he could obey the voice that he was learning to discern. But then lastly, he needed to teach Moses humility. This is a hard one for many of us, and it was hard for Moses. Humility brings us to a place of true dependence on God. We can never, ever do what God has actually called us to do without genuine humility, without understanding that everything depends on God and everything is for God's glory. If I go into any endeavor in my life, if we as a church, you in your personal life, and if we don't understand true dependence on God, we will fall on our face every single time. I want us to look also in this season as Moses is there for 40 years, there is no way while he was there, 40 years while he is tending sheep, he goes from 40 years old to 50 years old, to 60, to 70, 75. There's no way while he was there that he could have thought that this was how God was preparing him to one day be an exponential leader that would be the deliverer of God's people. Can you imagine? There's no way at any point Moses was doing all of these things smelling like a sheep and tending sheep and blisters on his feet. Probably his back was beginning to be hunched over because of the life he was living. There's no way as he's getting older, as he's doing all of these mundane tasks that he would have sat down one day and said, God, first of all, I just want to thank you for the 35 years so far of preparation and genuine work you're doing in my life. I can sense it every day. It's amazing what you're teaching. There's no way he would have done any of that. But if we only focus on our current circumstances, we will likely see God's preparation as his rejection. If you only look at now in a season of, of, wilder, of a wilderness, in the desert, in a season of waiting and preparation, if you only look at your current circumstances, we will have a tendency to look at God and say, why have you rejected me? But he's not. He's preparing you. But it's the constant temptation to think otherwise. I think what's interesting is the entire time, though, God was preparing him. I, one of my favorite parts of, of a movie goes back to the Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid. The new one, they do this scene, but it's just not as cool. The original Karate Kid, I, I love the part where he, you know, the kid is thinking, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I got skills, I've got the instincts, I've got the talent, and what does Mr. Miyagi do? He gives him some stuff to wash his car, to wax his car, and then he walks, he goes, how am I gonna learn to fight? We all, we all know this. How am I gonna learn? To, I haven't seen it in a long time, so don't come out there and say you didn't quote it correctly. I, how, how am I gonna learn to fight? Mr. Miyagi, what does he do? He gets the stuff, he goes, wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. And the kid is like, are you kidding me? This is a very selfish man who I no longer wanna look up to. He is making me wash his car and wax his car when he told me he would teach me how to fight. If you are younger and you want me to go to the Jaden Smith version of Karate Kid, it's the jacket on the ground. And you put the jacket up on the hanger. You get the jacket on the ground, you put the jacket up on the hanger. And what happens though is we know the story, the motions that he's learning in the midst of the anger boiling up one day. He says, I'm sick of this, I'm tired of this, you're not teaching me anything. And in the middle of that, 
there's a move and he realizes that the motions that he was going through were teaching him and preparing him for what was ahead. And God does the exact same way with us. But we get angry and we go, God, you said you were gonna do this. God, you said that I was gonna have whatever in my life. You said, but the entire time, if we can keep the right focus, he's teaching us the movements, the will, the way to become exactly what he's called us to do. And this is exactly what happened in scripture. Let me refer you back to Exodus 2, starting in verse 17. Remember when he goes into Midian, Moses goes and he sits down at a well. He sits down at a well and then immediately the Bible tells us there's a group of shepherds that come in to oppress and to drive out Jethro's daughters. That exact wording, to drive out, is used about Pharaoh when it came to slavery and oppression. It was the exact same thing that Pharaoh was doing to God's people. And in this story, what you see on the screen is that the, the Bible also tells us that Moses stepped in and saved the women. He stepped in on behalf of the women. Isn't that the exact same thing that he would do one day when he would stand before Pharaoh on behalf of God's people who were being oppressed and driven into slavery by Pharaoh? Then, then it says that the girls go back to their father's house and he says, how did you get back so soon? And they said, you'll never believe it. There was an Egyptian man there. And what does it say? He came and he delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. The exact wording that will be used one day in the future about Moses, when the world is describing him, the word of God will describe him as the man who delivered the people of God out of the hand of Pharaoh. And isn't it interesting that the story continues and they said, Dad, you won't believe it. Also, he took water. He drew water out of the well to give it to us. He drew water. Isn't this exactly what Moses would do one day as the prophet on behalf of God, that he would go to the well, the source of God on behalf of the people, that he would draw out the living word, the living water from God, and then he would give it to the people for refreshment, encouragement, and growth. But they don't stop there. They said, God, but they said, Father, also that God, that Moses also gave the water to the sheep and he watered our flock. Isn't that also what Moses would do one day with that same water, that same word of God, the 10 commandments that he would serve, take care of, and shepherd the people of God? It's a picture of what happens in our lives. What feels mundane, what feels like going through the motions is going through the motions of what God wants you to do now so you will learn the motions of what he wants you to do in a greater way later. So couldn't it be that the season you are viewing as God rejecting you is actually a season of him preparing you for his purpose? Number two is this, exponential leaders use what they have right now. They use what they have right now. Uh, one, of the, one of the coolest parts of the whole Moses story is the story of the burning bush. So after 40 years of tending sheep, the Bible tells us that Moses was tending sheep at the base of Mount Horeb, and one day he comes across a bush that's burning, and the bush is not being consumed. So it intrigues him, because normally when something burns, 
The thing that's burning is also consumed, but it's not being consumed. And all of a sudden, it's not just that that wasn't miraculous enough. This burning bush starts speaking to Moses. The voice of God starts speaking to Moses through this miraculous event in front of him. God starts speaking to him and calling him and saying, now is the time for you to go back to Egypt to be my voice. God introduces himself to Moses as Yahweh, as the God, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, now it's time for you to go back and be my mouthpiece and be the deliverer I always called you to be. Moses did not say, yes, I've been waiting for this. He says, you've got the wrong guy. Starts arguing with God. I don't want to do it. It's too big. Find someone else. I'm too old. And then in Exodus 4, starting in verse 1, we're going to pick up on the story. And it says this, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? I want you to really think about that question. And also think about the question that God didn't ask him. God didn't ask, what special item do you not have yet that you think you might need? What is that that you've been dreaming about getting one day? What's back at your house that's really cool that you really want to? No, no, no. God says, what is that presently in your hand? And Moses had to have looked at this, and he does. He looks at this and says, staff. A staff is in my hand. In verse 3, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And that's where Dustin would have ceased to be a deliverer. <laughs> and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I love this because God chose to use something that Moses would have overlooked a hundred times out of a hundred. What's in your hand? I think one of the things we have to be challenged with today is not asking the question, what's not in my hand? So what do we need to learn from this quick passage that I just read? The first thing is this. God wants to use what you do have, not what you don't have. There might be something you have one day that God wants to use as well, but a theme you see in Scripture all through the Bible is when God uses people mightily, he uses what they currently have so that what Moses learned in the wilderness, humility and dependence on God, will be on full display. I want to use the shepherd's staff. Shepherds were despised by Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. It was almost mocking the Egyptians to bring a shepherd's staff into the courtroom of Pharaoh. What do you have? If you're like me, I find myself whining a lot to God about what I don't have. Well, their preaching gift is a whole lot better than me. Ah, they can do this. Why, can't, why wasn't I born to sing? I stand down there every day, and I'm like the guy on American Idol that only my mom thinks is good. <laughs> why can't I? And you know, all the things I don't have. But God doesn't ask me what I don't have. What do you have? What do you have? The second thing we need to learn from this 
is God wants to bless what you have. When he asks Moses to throw down the staff, it was so God could bless it, do a miracle, and turn it into what God wanted it to turn into. If we don't release it to God, he can't do with it as he pleases. Whether it's our time, a talent, resources, money, whatever it might be. I can say, God, well, you want this? Great, have it, but don't. Well, I mean, you want me to put it down on the ground? I don't know what it's gonna turn into. I don't know what's gonna happen if I put it on the ground. I need this to get around in my day. But God says, the only way I can bless is, is if you give it to me. Put it on the ground. There's a story in the New Testament that's like this, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus looked at the disciples. They say, well, they tell Jesus, hey, everybody's hungry. We don't have, right? That's what they're focused. We don't have food. Jesus says, but what do you have? Again, what do you have? Well, then they go get a little boy's lunch. This is all we have, all we have. Jesus, again, is focusing on what they did have and getting their focus off of what they didn't have. And then when they put it in his hands, what happened? It turned into something else. Isn't that interesting? What we view as weakness, as something God can't use, if we give it to him, he'll turn it into something else. The third thing we pick up on from this passage is God wants you to use as directed. Use as directed. God gave Moses very explicit details on do this and this and this. If they do this, you do this. All through. I want you to think about some of the things that God did through the staff of Moses. Just a little while later from the story of the burning bush, Moses does go back to the Pharaoh, and in his court, he throws down the staff, and it becomes a giant serpent that consumes the snake that the magicians somehow conjured up that day in the court. Consumes it, picks it back up, and it becomes the staff. Can you imagine being there that day? Unbelievable. Then we, the well-known part of the story, after the 10 plagues, they get to the Red Sea. It looks like this whole thing is over. What does God tell Moses? Take your staff and lift it over the water. And he parts the Red Sea and they walk by on dry, through on dry ground. They get through the Red Sea and multiple things start happening. But one of the things that happens is the Amalekites are there where they're supposed to be. And they start a war against the Israelites. And, and God tells Moses, go up to the mountain. Take Aaron, his friend, and her. They go up to the mountain. Moses lifts the staff. God says, as long as the staff is lifted in the air on the mountain, the battle in the valley will be won. If the staff lowers, the battle will be lost. So the two men on either side of him are lifting his arms, the entire battle, and the battle is won. Why? Because it was used, it was used as God directed. But then there's a story where Moses doesn't use it as directed. The people are thirsty. There's no water. God tells Moses to speak to the rock, and Moses takes the staff and strikes the rock. The water, the miracle still happens. The water flows out of it, but it's the one time Moses used the gift that God has blessed, not as directed. The consequences of that one story that I just said were that Moses could never enter the promised land. That's why he couldn't go, because he used the gift for selfish gain in a way he wanted to use it. So let me say, what's in your hand, God can do wonders. But he says, 
use as directed. Use it for my kingdom. Use it for my glory. Use it as you depend on me. The talents and giftings that he's given us, if we don't use them for the glory of God to build what God is building, we'll never fully achieve the promise that God has had for us our entire life. We have to use what's in our hand. That's what exponential leaders do. Thirdly, exponential leaders listen, learn, and grow. Exponential leaders listen, learn, and grow. I'm gonna read a lengthy portion of scripture, but this is my last point, so we're good. I wanna read this, and so bear with me, because this is a, I, I was trying to cut some stuff, make it shorter, but this is just an unbelievable passage about true leadership and even practical, I mean, I'm telling you, practical advice in leadership. So I want you to tune in because I see some of you guys putting your notes away. This is not a time to do that. The third point, it's a good one. Okay, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> but here's what's going on. They're in the wilderness now, past the Red Sea. They're wandering. Jethro is still around, Moses' father-in-law now. Moses is being overwhelmed with a couple of million people. He's the leader. He's lost sight of what it meant to be leaders of leaders. Now he's just leading followers and he's being overwhelmed with all the disputes. And this is what this is how the story unfolds with Jeff, Jethro approaching him. Exodus 18, 13 through 24 says, the next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning until evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me. Now, just pause right there at the beginning of verse 19. Moses, at this point in the story of Moses, is the man. Like, he, he went to Pharaoh, let my people go, leads the people out of Egypt, Red Sea, all the things. I mean, he's at the top of his game. He's just being overwhelmed right now. Then Jethro, his father-in-law, who has no true, clear position of any kind of official leadership, comes to him and says, hey, you're doing this wrong. Listen to me. Can you imagine how different this story could be? If Moses looked at his father-in-law, we're about to read, is not, this isn't what happened, but can you imagine if Moses looks at his father-in-law and says, God chose me. I already feel like God has spoken to me. Thank you for the input, but no, I'm gonna do it my way. Moses never would have actually become the exponential leader beyond this that we see him to be in scripture. Verse 19 says, now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. There's so much to unpack here. I could go like, Ooh. But Jethro was so strategic and such a gift to Moses 
that he even showed Moses which people could handle how many people at this given time. Amazing. And he says to them, let the leaders, uh, verse 22, they should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. Let, uh, they will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. I love verse 24. This is what everything hinges on. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Oftentimes in your personal story with God, your relationship with God, or in, your, in this series, leadership story, there's a time where things will grow. They'll grow to a place where you feel overwhelmed. And then you're at this place of it's almost like what I picture standing on one side of a, of a rushing river, looking across to the other side going, I know that I need to go from here to there in my leadership, but I don't know how to wade through the rough waters, the, the growth pains, the challenging growth season. I don't know how to wade through this. I don't know what to do. The best place you can be as a leader is to be able to say, I don't know. Because then God will bring someone in your life that does. So I wanna look at this. How do we wade through that season of transition to go next level in our leadership? I wanna look at the word wade as an acronym. The first is this, we need to welcome input. Welcome input. I wanna tell you what welcoming input isn't, okay? Welcoming input isn't telling yourself you welcome input. I, anytime, yeah, anytime someone wants to give me input. No, 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 no. Welcoming input is going to your leader or to other people and telling them, I welcome input and mean it. Welcoming input is a posture but it's also verbal. I'll tell you, there's nothing more difficult as a leader than to have someone with you that you want to speak into their life. They have so much potential, but they do not welcome input. Why is that such a frustrating thing? Because that means you have to force them into a situation, try to crack the shell of lack of self-awareness, and then most likely that person's gonna look at you and argue you into the ground that you're wrong. But if you really wanna wade through the growing pains of the next level, then you overtly tell people that are close to you, I want input. I want to grow and I, I need someone to help me and I need advice. But the problem is 99% of the time, the best advice is often the hardest to hear. What I've found as a pastor when people want to have meetings and just want advice, I almost don't do it at all anymore. Because what I've found is that people, by and large, don't want advice. They want permission. They don't want someone to truly speak into their life. They want someone to put a stamp of approval on what they've already decided. Welcoming input ensures success to the next level and the next place God wants you to go. The A is this, adjust accordingly. Moses had the posture of welcoming input. He had kept Jethro in his life. Obviously, the familiarity where Jethro felt so comfortable to go to him, they had already established that relationship. But also, he adjusted accordingly based on the advice that Jethro gave him. And I also, if you're the one giving advice, I also love what Jethro said. I'm gonna give you advice, 
but I want you to pair my advice with what God is saying. And if he approves, do it. It's not that you have to just salute anybody that gives you advice and do it, but you pair what they say with what you feel like God is saying, and you're gonna know what to do. But we adjust accordingly. We have to get to the place of when someone, I wanna ask you this, every great leader, every great leader I know has at least one person in their life that if that person in their life said no, that great leader, it would stop them dead in their tracks. Who do you have in your life if you were getting ready to make a big decision and they said no, that you would step back and go, if they said no, I have, I have to back off of this, at least for the time being. But what I've seen from my position and working with people for all of these years is a lot of people have no one in their life who can step in and say, don't marry that person. Don't take that job. Don't make that decision. Can you imagine how many marriages wouldn't have broken apart? How many relationships could have been saved? If we had someone in our life who had the insight and wisdom from God to say, I know you want to, but don't. Moses wanted to be the one meeting with all the people, but he couldn't, and Jethro knew it. And then the D in Wade is this, delegate responsibly. We have to delegate responsibly. Delegation is a huge part of leadership, and I'm gonna do this quickly, but it is something that so many people, from my perspective, I have messed up in times for sure, and so many people mess up on in, in leadership, but what, what Jethro told Moses was, you need to delegate, that's what he's saying, but do it responsibly. Get responsible people, but then also be strategic about it. You've gotta get capable people, people that can handle the pressure. You've gotta give them expectations. You've gotta give them a job description. You, you can't just do the extremes, because on one end of the spectrum, we have extreme delegation, which is this. I'm just gonna get it off my plate. I'm overwhelmed. We've all had a boss from time to time that was like this. I'm overwhelmed. I'm just gonna get it off my plate. Hey, you over there, I, I need you to do this. Well, I don't know how nobody's trained me on this. Just do it. Just go. Like, I, I can't. That is extreme delegation, and it is horrible because it's not delegation. It's, it, it's like I'm, I'm just gonna dump all of this stuff on somebody, and they're gonna drown, and then I'm also gonna hold them responsible for my leadership mishap when they don't measure up. Bad. That's what Jethro says. Don't do that. But there's another extreme that's extreme control. This is the no one I work with is competent. Everyone's an idiot. I'm just going to do it myself. No, it's not that they're idiots. It's that I like control and I like it done my way. I'm telling you, if you want a low leadership lid on your life, you do this. You, I'm just gonna do it myself. I can do it better anyways. We have a rule on our staff when it comes to other staff and volunteers. If there's someone in the waiting for a certain role, if they can do at least 80%, we call it the 80% rule, if they can just do 80% of what I can do, we train properly, we empower accordingly, and we release. Because no one's required to do it exactly like me. No one. But if you ever wanna grow and expand, and truly grow in leadership, we have to learn that it's not the extremes, but we pull these into the middle and we have good, proper empowerment with proper expectations, job descriptions, training, and the empowerment of people. And that's exactly what Jethro was teaching. How do we wade through? The E is this, we have to establish consistency. After we've changed and, and after we've changed things and empowered people, we have to have a, a season of, whew, okay, how are things going? 
How are the people doing that I've empowered? Because it was, it was really when we empower people and delegate, it's not just to get things off our plate, it's so they can grow in leadership. So they can actually be who you want them to be without micromanagement and control, right? So then the E is we establish consistency now. How are things going? We work on it, we follow up, we inspect. I heard someone say one time, I love this, we always inspect what we expect. If you're expecting something from someone, make sure you're inspecting along the way and giving them feedback along the way. But we establish consistency and what happens when we wade through correctly? Then we create the margin in our lives to hear from God about what's next in our leadership journey. When Moses was in that season, there's no way he could have heard anything from God because all he was hearing were the problems of people. But the system that Jethro brought in to Moses' life allows Moses now through empowerment, through wading through the season of growth and growing and, and the challenges of growth, now all of a sudden he has margin. And the very next passage, immediately following what I just read to you, God gives him the purpose for his people and a vision for the future. Exodus 19, one through five says this. In the third month after the Israelites had left the land of Egypt, the very same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai and they camped there at the base of the mountain of Sinai. Moses went up to God on the mountain and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, listen to this, say this to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart for my purpose, these are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. God could have never placed his identity, purpose, and destiny on his people until the leader created the margin to receive it and hear it. We have to learn to grow in our leadership. I truly feel, obviously not everyone is called to be in charge of every organization. I understand that. But everyone, I believe, that's a believer is called to be an exponential leader of leaders. I challenge you, go back to the story of Moses. Dig deep, look inside of yourself, and say, God, how can I move from leading followers to leading leaders and create a greater impact in my world for the kingdom of God? Next week, we're gonna be looking and ending the series. I thought a great way to end it would be looking at the life of Jesus and his leadership. Do you agree? So we're gonna look at Jesus next week. I would love for you to be here as we end this series, but I wanna pray over you today, and I'm gonna pray that, that God would reveal things to you in a Sinai, Mount Sinai moment for you, to where purpose, identity, and blessing, strategy can be given to you as we create the posture of what it takes to be an exponential leader. Father, we thank you for today. God, I pray blessing and purpose over everyone's life in the room. As we become exponential leaders, God, and look to your word as we grow in our faith and become more effective in our everyday lives. I pray that you bless us, give us your strategy, bless our homes, our marriages, and our families. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.